can go with me to 1 Peter 5 and 8. My title this morning for Austin is, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. I beg your pardon. I don't remember who sang that. Who sang that? Her too. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. I started with glasses. Did not make it to. Let me see. I think these are the. Those look nicer, but they're not quite strong enough. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. As we get ready to celebrate one of the greatest advents of the year, I think when he was born, when he died, and when he was raised are three significant dates to us. We know that right now the, uh, the scheme of the world is pointed towards Christmas. I'm proud of a president would say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holiday. That is a, that is a, that is a powerful statement. As you visit the malls and the restaurants and the, about, about any public place you will go to, they're piping in music. And uh, if you'll look at most Christmas carols, every Christmas carol, a way, silent night, well, I won't even start to list, but every Christmas carol shares the story of his birth, his death, and his resurrection. And uh, we, are, we celebrate that, obviously, every single day of our life. But this is the season that we put packages under a tree. And I'll tell you what, the greatest package didn't come under a tree. The greatest package came nailed to a tree. And we, we thank God for his gift. And we thank God for the gift of his son as we will wrap gifts and give to one another. We learned that from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The reason God had to give his son because there was an enemy called sin. And this morning for a few minutes, I'd like to talk about that, that, uh, that force, that entity that is against us. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. And so we learned that there is a, a spiritual battle taking place. We are at war and war has been declared upon us, and the enemy hates us, does not want us to succeed, he does not want us to be successful, he, does, he wants nothing from us but, but rust and mold, and that's the way he rolls. But this morning the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the Bible is very clear about this entity called Satan. First Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... The devil walked about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's where we're at this morning. When you give your heart to God, it does not mean that you're immune from pain. It doesn't mean that you're immune from attack. It does not mean you're not a part of the battle. But it means that you are a part of the family of God that has made a decision to stand for right and do the things that God has called you to do, to be what God has called you to be and to become what God has called you to become. When I think about the birth of Christ and all the wonderful things that transpire, if you watch the movie Star, I recommend that to everyone in the house this morning. Incredible story. But in that, in that movie, in that presentation, there was a force that was trying to destroy Jesus. And every time that Jesus shows up and there's some kind of angelic visitation or presentation, the enemy has no clue what's going on, but he knows that something is going on. And when you pray and you begin to tune into the things of God, 
and God begins to respond and God begins to bring answers your way, then immediately it lights up or it activates that enemy knowing that God is about to use you in a great way. So if you feel afflicted, if you feel conflicted, if you feel that things are coming against you spiritually, physically, mentally, merrily, mentally, then know you're probably right on the verge, you're right on the edge of a breakthrough. You're right on the edge of something happening that God said he would do and he's about to, he's about to do it and all hell is trying to stop it. The enemy does not come in a monster figure or a or some kind of horrible looking monster that we have seen at Halloween from time to time. But the Bible says, and the kids say that he is a sly old fox and that he's smart and he's aware of what God wants to do in our life. And he wants to stop us and hinder us. The very first presentation you'll find of Lucifer is found where he decided that he wanted to be like God. Let me back up just a minute and declare that in heaven there are three personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus is going to tell us in Luke 10 and 19 that he saw Satan falling from heaven. Revelation 12 says that when he fell, he fell with one-third of all the angelic hosts. We don't know how many that is, but the Bible talks about a number that no man could number. We might be able to safely say that when Satan fell, he may have fallen with a million angels and they fell upon this earth. Uh, we know that when he fell upon this earth, according to Ezekiel 28, that there was life, there was a race of people, there were probably dinosaurs that roamed the land. I don't have a problem with the pre-Adamic race. I don't know that uh, Adam and Eve were the first creatures to ever walk upon this planet. We know that we found the skeletons of some kind of life form that we've determined to be the Neanderthal man that is over a million years old. I don't know all about that, but I do know this, that when he was cast, let me back up again, and say Satan brought one-third of the angels from heaven to earth. In heaven, there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Spirit. When you find reference to Gabriel, he is the angel that represents the Holy Spirit or the power of the church. When you find reference to Gabriel, he is the angel that refers to God Almighty. And the Bible says that Lucifer is called, his very name means the light bearer. There's a very good possibility. Am I talking too fast? There's a very good possibility that one-third of the angels worship the Father, one-third of the angels worship the Holy Spirit, and one-third of the angels worship the light. Lucifer is called the light bearer. When Lucifer saw the power of praise and worship as praise and worship of the angels begin to motivate God to do great and incredible things, as Satan saw the power of praise and worship, he decided that he wanted praise and worship for himself. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to extend his throne above the throne of God, his kingdom above the kingdom of God. And through that decision, Luke 10 and 19, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. On that day when God judged Lucifer and Lucifer fell upon this earth, very good possibility, Kelly, there was life on this earth, that there was a generation because Ezekiel says that when he fell, he defiled the sanctuaries that were on earth. A sanctuary is a place that we build to worship God. So when Lucifer fell, there were places here on earth that worship God. That is a mystery. Uh, a lot of people um, have a problem with the pre-Adamic race. I do not. The Bible says that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And for us to assume that we're the only generation that has ever been created is a pretty big assumption. This is my my take on it, when he fell, as the angels fell upon earth, 
They begin to try to destroy this race. I believe there was a part of this race that sided with God. I believe there's a part of this race that sided with the enemy. And in that decision, there was a battle, and the ice, the earth was frozen. Everything upon the face of the earth was found in several feet of ice. That's where we found the dinosaurs and all these bones that we determined is a pre-Adamic race. And the ones that sided with Satan became demons that have the ability to inhabit bodies. And the other half that followed God became ministering spirits. So there is a war going on today between demonic spirits and ministering spirits. And aren't you glad this morning as we read the last page of the Bible, the Bible says we win. That we're going to a place that we'll study war no more. Where the lion will lay down with the lamb and we will eternally be with the Lord. And that's a whole nother world. That's a whole nother thought. As, as I look at the presence of, of Satan upon this earth, we find his presence not just in the fall, but we find, and by the way, when Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven, he tells us this, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and nothing by any means shall hurt you. The serpent we know was found in the garden and Genesis 3 and 15, the proto-evangelico, the first promise of a Savior that said that there will be a, an, an anointed child that will smash the head of Satan and the, the, feet, the, the mouth of Satan will try to bite the feet of the presence and the people of God. Can anybody relate? Anybody know where we're going to here? Uh, but I'm so glad that we have been given the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. The scorpion represents our past. The tail comes from the rear and stings. So anything the enemy would use against you in your past, the blood has washed that slate clean with the liquid paper of the blood of Jesus. And now every day is a new day. Every day is a new promise. The promises of God are yea and amen through Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad this morning you're not judged by what you did or did not do yesterday? Aren't you glad you're not judged this morning by what you did and did not do 20 years ago? Aren't you glad that old things are passed away and all things are become new and we don't have to allow our past to intimidate us or frustrate us, but when the enemy tries to remind us of how we have messed up and how we fail, we just remind him, Satan, there's a day coming when you're going to burn, baby, burn, and we are going to live, baby, live, and you're going to lose and we're going to win, and that's the end of the story. We find this serpent in the garden, and you know that he deceived uh, Eve into, into eating whatever. I don't believe it was an apple. I don't believe it was a pomegranate. It was probably some fruit that we've never experienced because that tree has been moved to heaven. But we call it the apple. Eve ate the apple, and, uh, and, and men have been trying to blame woman for that uh, all for the past 6,000 years. My question is, where was the dude when the chick was talking to the snake? Where was the dude when the chick was talking? Was he online? Was he playing uh, uh, reality games? Was he on the golf course? Was he in a tree stand? Was he on the bat? Was he bass fishing? Where was the dude should have been in the house when the snake started talking to tell his wife, listen, it's not safe to talk to snakes. We don't talk to them. We kill them, grill them, and eat them. I, rem I remember seeing a, a news footage, and I believe it was somewhere between New Mexico and, and Arizona, but there was, a, there was a, a place in the highway there where they took a, a rubber snake and put it kind of half on the, on the emergency lane and half on the number one lane, and they set up a camera. And Chris, they have captured pictures of 18 wheelers swerving over, running over the snake, and then putting it in reverse and running over it again. 
they have documentation of some guy pulled over, got out of his car, took his pistol, and shot at the snake seven or eight times. And that's pretty much the way that I roll. That's pretty much the way I roll. I don't, I don't, I don't handle them. And I've always been people that, that, that keep lizards and snakes as pets. I've always kind of wondered about them a little bit. Because I just, I just something about just thinking about that snake. But you know what? The Bible tells us that the snake then is not the snake now. He was a walking vessel of beauty, uh, probably the most beautiful creature that God, again, one of God's creations. And we know that the enemy filled the mouth of the serpent, and the serpent began to convince them that it was okay to eat of the fruit. They would not die. And we know the story. They did eat of the fruit and realized that they were naked. They realized that they were in sin. They tried to cover themselves with probably the coat of a lamb or the coat of a cow or something. They tried to cover themselves, and when God called them, they were not there where they should have been because the enemy had tricked them. I wrote down here three things the enemy wants to do to you. He wants to tempt you, he wants to accuse you, and he wants to deceive you. There's something about temptation when you're tempted to do something or anything, right or wrong, the Bible says there's no temptation taken unto men that God is not able to deliver them from. In other words, God's not going to put a storm in your life that you can't handle. I saw on Facebook today something about when the, when the enemy whispers to you and says that, that a storm is coming, you whisper back to the enemy and say, I am the storm. I saw also, I think Linda sent me a video of an eagle that says the, the eagle does not fight the enemy on the ground. The eagle picks the enemy up behind the, that snake behind the neck and goes about 30,000 feet and drops it. So the battle takes place in the heavenlies. This is a, not a war of flesh and blood, but of the levels that the enemy comes against us. And I'm so glad that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. When you look at the life of Job, you realize the enemy comes, Luke 10 and 10, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, 11 says he is still the accuser of the brethren. But there are two things that overcome the enemy, and that is the blood of the Lamb, and that is the word of our testimony. And when you declare what God has done for you or is doing for you or will do for you, the enemy hates it, he cannot stand it, and he will try his best to do three things in your life. One thing he will try to do is to possess you. If you've never been around a demonically possessed person, count it all joy because they are scary, they are freaky, weird things happen. In 30-some-odd years of marriage, I have seen several exorcists where prayers have been made for someone that manifested. I did, I believe, I went to a uh, voodoo service in, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I believe I saw what they have called the, the, the zombie, the walking dead. I believe that there really is that kind of stuff out there. That's nothing that interests me. There's nothing that, 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 that I would enjoy about that, but I had someone wanted to take me. We snuck in. We were there. It was crazy. We saw levitation. We saw people standing in the coals. And while they were standing, they were standing, and the, they were literally standing in the fire. They weren't just walking through it. They were standing in the fire, and they weren't getting burned. And I, and I, they were, they were chanting this, this chant over and over and over again. Later, when we left the gar- the jungle and we got back to the motel, had a thousand questions for my guy. But one of one of the questions I asked him, I said, "What were they saying when they were standing in the fire?" He said, "The only way I know how to explain it is that as you Christians have." your own language to worship God, 
Satan also has a language that worships him. And I thought that was so crazy because everything God has ever tried to do, the devil has always tried to duplicate. God said, I put a mark on you. The world said, I'm going to put a mark on you, 666. We are the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We have Satan, the false beast, and the prophet. And those three entities in the last days will try to destroy a church that's going to be raised literally out of the rapture. The day after the rapture, I believe hundreds of thousands of people will come back to God because they will realize that, uh, that the church is gone. And if that day happens and it says that thousands are missing and disappearing, don't call my phone because I'm, I think I'm going to make it. Call Pastor Rhonda's phone. If she doesn't answer, you're welcome to come to my home, take all of my 11 or 12 Bibles, my 1,000, 1,200 books I have. You could all have it. You can have all my clothes. You can have, I don't want any of that. And on that day, if the Lord were to come the next 10 seconds, when NBC came in the door, all they would see would be shirts and blouses and, and shoes and the other stuff because there's going to be a new body, a new robe, a robe of righteousness that we're going to put on, and we're going to leave this place, and only the meek are coming back. Hello, the meek shall inherit the earth. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. We see in the garden that uh, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, and were cast from the garden. The Bible says that they birthed Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were probably twins. I do not know that Cain and Abel are the first children ever born to Adam and Eve. The reason being when Cain got angry through jealousy, that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and did not accept his. The Bible says that Cain was marked with a mark. He was cast from the presence of God, and he went to the land of Nod, and he married a wife. Well, that's tough. If he married a wife, that means there were either children before Adam and Eve or Adam and Eve conceived and Cain married a, a daughter of Adam and Eve. So it's a crazy, when you look at it, there probably, there probably were more children. The point being is that Cain and Abel are a type and shadow of Christ and the enemy where Abel offered unto God the lambs, the enemy, the enemy of God offered fruit, the things of the world. And we know that God's judge came for a sin. Ask him, where is your brother? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? That's a yes answer. We are our brother's keeper. We're here to bless the widow, the orphan, the ones that are in bondage, the ones that, that don't have we, we have. We're here to share with them and to bless them and support them through the kingdom of God. So we know that, ironically, that when Cain killed Abel, the Bible says the blood of Abel cried out from the ground and got the attention of God. Luke, Leviticus 14, 11 says all life is in the blood the power of life is in the bud, and we know that the blood of Jesus, when it hit the dirt of Calvary, it cried out, it is finished, and the payment for sin was justified there at the cross. And aren't you glad this morning, not the blood of bull and goats, but the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, shed from the foundation of the world, delivers us and releases us from all that junk the enemy wants to do. Three things the enemy, oh, I'm getting excited now, three things the enemy wants to do, he wants to possess you. The Bible talks about a man that was filled with demons, and Jesus went and cast them out. And the demons said, can we go on these pigs? And Jesus said, you go. They went to the pigs. The pigs immediately ran off the hill and committed suicide. Two things there that we learn that the spirit of the enemy and Cain and Abel likes to operate in the spirit of murder. Today, 40,000 people will commit suicide in the world. 40,000 people a day. Today, 28,000 babies will be aborted. Today, 28,000 babies will be aborted. That's the spirit of murder. 
That's the spirit of suicide. That's the spirit that the enemy tries to operate in. But the word says, I am come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. And it's a good day living for Jesus. It's a good day to be a part of what God is saying, what God is doing. And then we look at this spirit of jealousy that becomes upon Saul. Saul was selected physically to be the king of Israel. He was not the most spiritual man, but he was the people's choice. And sometimes we need to be careful what people choose for us. Just a thought there. And we know that Saul got overwhelmed with the The Bible says the spirit of jealousy would come upon him, and he would take his spear, and he would throw it at David and try to kill David. David's anointed. He's singing praise and worship. Saul's trying to kill him. What is so ironic, the Bible says that the anointed music of David calmed the spirit of Saul, but he still wanted to destroy David. And that's where I learned you can't handle snakes or alligators or crocodiles or things of that nature because if you mess around with that long enough, it's going to bite you, hurt you, and you're going to lose. Do I have a friend in the house? Then I look at the spirit of pride when Jesus asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? And you all know the story. And they all said, well, some said you're Elijah. Some think you're Isaiah. Some think you're Enoch. Some think you're... And then Peter looked at Jesus. His name was Simon. And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of a living God. Do you remember that? And Jesus said, heaven and earth, earth did not reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, he changed the name of Simon to Peter, which means a piece of the rock. And it's not upon this, upon this revelation, I will build my church, that I am the Christ, the son of a living God. In the next few minutes, look at somebody say the next few minutes. Jesus started telling, telling the disciples, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to be crucified. I have to die for the sins of the world. The Bible says that Peter physically took his hands and put them on Jesus' shoulders and said, no, we're not going to let you go. And, and Jesus looks not at Peter because it wasn't Peter motivating his words, but it was Satan. Satan was there whispering into the ear of Peter. Jesus looks at Satan and says, get thee behind me, Satan. I will accomplish what God has called me to accomplish. And I've learned you've got to be very careful in ministry. Sometime when you open the door of spirituality leading closer to God, there are times there when the enemy would like to step in and present false doctrine, false thoughts, false pride. Is that okay? It's very scary to leave a place and saying, well, I did this or I did that. It's better to leave the place and say, I did this with the help of God. I did this with the... Get your hair cut? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, just go there with me for a minute. We see uh, the spirit of rebellion when, when God told Sam, tell Saul, go to, the, go to Agar, kill everything in there, don't let anything live, destroy everything that's there. And you know the story, Saul did not obey. And Samuel confronts Saul and he says this, idolatry, uh, stubbornness is as a spirit of idolatry and rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And ironically there, as we look at this spirit of stubbornness, the spirit of stubbornness says, I don't care what anybody says, I'm going to do whatever I want. And even when we see it bites us in the gluteus maximus, we still, we still make decisions even knowing what it's going to cost us because we are a stubborn generation. And that word idolatry means having other gods, uh, having other gods besides me. When he talks about the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of rebellion says, it's, it's my life. I'm going to have it my way. Look how far that got Elvis. How'd that work for him? 
but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to medicate. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to get wasted. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to embezzle. I'm going to this, 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 this. He said that's the spirit of the word rebellion in Hebrew is the word pharmakia. In 1938, a black and white movie, still still uh, a best-selling novel today, still one of the most watched films of all time, The Wizard of Oz, as Dorothy and Toto and the Tin Man, the Scarecrow and the Lion were making their way to the land of Oz to get their needs met. As they were on that yellow brick road, the Wicked Witch of the East sent her evil monkeys. They poured out a potion. The, the, the road turned into poppies, and everyone was overwhelmed by the poppy. They fell asleep, and they would still be asleep today if the Good Witch of the North had not wakened them up from that, from that story. We understand that the poppy has been perverted into an opiate. Uh, I think it's ironic that right now it seems like our government, our president, is trying to declare war on the opiate. The challenge with the opiate is that the love of money is the root of all that's evil, when hospitals get a kickback and when doctors get a kickback and when pain management cl- clinics get a kickback and they're making not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of dollars a year on, the, on what is spent on medication, it's a war that the, our, our, our generation probably will not win. But I'm glad we have realized that it is a danger. It is, it is a, something to be worried about. And every one of us in this place right now either have someone in our life that's struggling with addiction or you're here today and you're struggling with addiction. Let me tell you what the enemy wants to steal. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to steal your peace. And he wants to steal your joy. And the way that he does that is by presenting a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. It looks real. Sometimes you can fake it as a real thing. But it's not the real thing. It is a fake. When you look at you and I, there are two things that this, this soma and this suke, this body, soul, and spirit, there are two things that we live for, we strive for, we pursue for, we work for, and those two things are joy and the, and the other one is peace. You cannot survive without joy. You cannot live without peace. You've got to find some way to be happy. You've got to find some way to be peaceful. And instead of going to God as the Word of God declares that He is the peace that passeth all understanding. Instead, we will medicate on Xanax or Zoloft or Hydros or Oxys, and we'll try to get that, what they call that mellow. Just, I just want to be mellow. I just, and that's the spirit that God wants you to have, and you don't have to find it in drugs or in pills. And that joy, that is the joy of the Lord says, is our strength that gives us the enemy to defeat the enemy. The enemy tries to replace that joy with alcohol, cocaine, and meth. So the world's solution is drugs and alcohol. God's solution is a personal relationship with me that I may pour into your vessel my joy. I may pour in your vessel my peace. And let me tell you something. There ain't no high like the Holy Ghost high. There's no drug. There's, no, there's nothing you can drink or put in your body or put in your veins can match the anointing that God has for you and what God wants you to have. There is no peace like the peace that passeth all understanding. This year, probably the Davis family has learned more about the peace of God than any other, any other season of our life. My mom was upon this earth 85 years. She loved life. I loved her. She was a great mom. Uh, when she died, there was a, a, a crevice. There was a void in my life. And still today, though, although it's almost been a year, it was like it was yesterday. I was the last one to leave her bed. I waited till the funeral home came. And got her body. I was there when she died. I was there the, the, last, the last day of her life. And on her face, 
There was not expression of fear, but there was an expression of reality. She knew she was dying, but she was ready. She knew she was dying. She was ready. She had, had she not been ready, she had time to get ready. And then when I look at the life of Angel, Angel didn't have time to get ready. He was ready. And God took Angel. And you know what? There have been several phone calls. There have been several cards, several expressions of people encouraging us and, and supporting Courtney, obviously. But until you've been there, done that, you can't relate. You can't comprehend. It's a place that I don't wish upon anybody. Any, anybody. A child should never outlive their parents. That, that should not happen. But when, when there were no answers, when there were no solutions, I told Joni Lamb a few weeks ago at, at um, G. Alexander's, at the end of the day, it's all about trust. We trust in God. God's God. He's in control. We may not understand. We, not, we may not focus, but he gives us the peace to be able to survive that storm and that what the enemy is trying to bring against us. I wrote here, and I'm closing, Satan wants to steal your joy and rob your peace. And it's a battle. It's a war. David says, teach my fingers to fight teach my hands war, and then David showed us how the praise of worship defeats the enemy, and it destroys what the enemy is trying to do against us. We see the temptation of Christ after a fast. The enemy came, took him to a mountain, showed him all the things that he could have if he would bow down and serve him. And Jesus told the devil, man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We have this book. We have this Bible. We have instruction to help us live our life and make the decisions that we live. Jesus taught that to us in the garden. And then in, 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 a, in, in a garden before he was ready to drink the bitter cup of death, the enemy came and said, you don't have to drink this, you don't have to do this. But he did what he was supposed to do because it bettered us. This morning we do what we're supposed to do because it betters other people. In closing, I'm here to tell you that the day that Jesus died at Calvary, there was a party going on in hell. All the demons were celebrating. All of hell was rejoicing. The devil just didn't know what to do with himself. He'd been fighting God for millions of years. And now it looks like that he won. He killed God's son. He killed the hope. He killed the joy. He killed the peace. So he decided to take a picnic. So he called his angel called death. And his angel called the grave. And he said, listen, I'm going to take some time off. I've been fighting God for so long. I'm just wore out. I'm burnt out. I'm going to go, and I'm going to have a picnic, and I'm going to leave you two guys in charge. Now, death, remember you lost Lazarus. Grave, remember you let Lazarus go. I don't want Jesus going anywhere. I want you to go over there and make sure he's good and dead. Grave, I want you to corrupt him. I want you to destroy him. I'm leaving you guys in charge. Can you handle it? They said they could, so the devil got ready to go on a picnic got him some deviled egg sandwiches, got him some devil food cake, packed him a picnic, and he went someplace where it's really hot, Palm Springs, California, to Death Valley, Palm Springs, where it can get to be 120, and that's in the shape. He began to get a sunburn. He began to drink Mai Tais. He began to celebrate, but if something just wasn't right, Kelly, in his celebration. He just didn't feel good about what was going on. And so he said, maybe I better get back down to hell, make sure everything's okay. So by way of Udawal, he made his way to hell. And the moment he got to hell, he knew something was wrong. He knew something was going on. 
He walked up to death, grabbed him and said, death, what's going on? Grave, what's taking place since I've been gone? I gave you one easy task. I want you to make sure that Jesus stayed in that tomb. And death said, well, said, we got some bad news. And the devil said, let me have it. He said, well, we went there, but he wasn't there. And the devil said, what do you mean he wasn't there? We left him there. He's dead. The graves got him. And graves said, well, I tried to hold him, but there was a trumpet, and there was a noise, and there was a light, and I couldn't hold on to him. He got away from me. About that time in the upper regions of hell at a place called paradise, Jesus began to walk among the Old Testament saints to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and said, I'm he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. I want you to go with me on a journey. We're going zoom, 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 past the moon, past the Milky Way to a place called heaven. I'm going to introduce you to my Father. I'm going to let you know the Holy Spirit, and we're going to celebrate Jesus walks right up to the devil and says, Satan, you won't be needing the keys of hell and of death anymore. Slapped him in the face, whacked him over the head, kicked him in the butt, took away the keys of hell and of death, went back to heaven, told God, said, God, it's finished. I paid the price. God said, you get back to heaven. You give the church, you give the, church the keys to hell. You give the church the keys of death. You give them healing. You give them anointing. You give them favor. The, the story God, God came down the form of his son, kicked the devil's butt, went back to heaven, and said, Now all power, both in heaven and earth, has been given to you to raise the sick, to heal the dead, to cast out demons, to take authority over everything that's dark in Jesus' name. And there you have it. Our first look at Advent, our first look at this Christmas month. I believe that wise men still seek him. And I just agreed this morning that the journey that you're on does not get lost in lights and get lost in wrapping paper and get lost in credit cards, but that your joy this season would realize that he is alive and he has the keys and he's coming back. Can we pray? Thank you for this season together. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship that was awesome. Thank you for all that you brought us together to enjoy. As we get ready to celebrate one of the greatest days of history, literally, let us never reflect all the good that we've got, what it costs you to lose your son, to give your son. So this may not be a joyous season for you, but it's a joyous season for us. And we 